Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while, right here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. Just so y'all know, I am the toilet of cuss word. What's up? <laughs> there he is. <laughs> I would be the non-sexy one. It is Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 268, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. And oh. in full disclosure, I got to tell y'all. Yes, please tell us. <laughs> now, I've already told Matt. But I was contemplating the Cowboys press conference today, and Jerry said something that caused me to make a uh, watermelon Ciroc with sparkling water, Waterloo watermelon drink. And it was so tasty, I decided to have a drink, a sip, a drink, every time the Cowboys, Jerry, and Steven said something that I thought was kind of dumb. Oh, my God, you're still alive. That's amazing. Bro. So three glasses later, I was like, hey, Matt, I've had a couple today, which normally I don't do. Ever. And I haven't had a real drink. I mean, I had that beer in Birmingham the other day. Yeah. But I haven't had like a cocktail cocktail. Not because I was trying not to. I just, you know, I've told y'all on many occasions that drinking is, if I never had another drink, I wouldn't miss it. So I probably haven't had a drink in six or seven weeks. But I've had three today. So this ought to be a really interesting podcast. Now, I'm not drunk. I don't sound funny. But my opinions are probably going to be uncensored today. <laughs> well, let's all look forward to this because we have a ton of audio to go through from Jerry, some from Steven, maybe even little Mike McCarthy because they three today in Oxnard, California, the state of the team address, the official beginning of the 2022 season is here they are in Oxnard. They have arrived, and man, did they have a lot to say. And, you know, I thought it was nuts. It, it, it has to be so nice for all the media contingent and everybody, and we got to do it. I, I, I went out there with you one year that we were doing the show, and, you know, everything that goes with California and that part of the country, it was 67 degrees bro, in Oxnard, California, and I think they said it was 103 in Dallas. No, trust me, it's 103 in Dallas. Um, six, you know, Oxnard is crazy, man. And, and Matt's been out there for a couple of years. But it would be crazy, even if it wasn't like the heat wave in Dallas, Yeah. to know that temperatures in Dallas were 95, 100. And literally, in Oxnard, you have to show up with a jacket 
or a three quarter zip or something. If you're if you're before eight o'clock because it's cold, man. It's like fifty yeah. to sixty degrees. I used to when we, when we were out there. I would wear like I would bring like a little cover up for my legs because I'd get I'd get freezing cold and I'd wear a hoodie. And then right. halfway through the show, I would take everything off and I'm sitting in shorts and a t-shirt and it's like seventy four degrees. It's amazing. True that. True that. It's true incredible. That. It's also incredible. Let's tell you about our friends Robert Greening and his green team at Greening Law. If you've been hurt in a car accident like I was, experienced malpractice from a physician, a hospital, maybe you're injured on the premises of a business, whatever the case may be, you need to give the lawyers at Greening Law a call. They've represented all sorts of cases. If you think you've got a case, give them a call. Let them handle it for you because what they do is they take that over. They take that headache, all that behind-the-scenes crap, the phone calls, the insurance companies, and they go to battle against that. They are your legal competitor against the insurance companies. Hey, y'all should know the number by now. But if for some reason you're probably a new listener and you don't, 972 What'd you do, turn the microphone around? God, I did. Yep, there he is. (laughs) He's back. Ah, um, 972-934-8900. That's the number. If you've had any kind of incident, whether it's a, at a business property, you know, you're in a car accident, 18 wheeler hits you, you're on a construction site, something happened, whatever. If you've had an accident, it's not your fault. Just pick up the phone and call 972-934-8900 and give the green team the details of your incident. They'll tell you, hey, we think you got a case. And I'm, I'm telling you, and Matt can vouch for this, all right? If you've been involved in an accident and they take you on as a client, it's your lucky day. It is your lucky day. It really is, man, because they go to work for you. And as you just said, that consultation's free, 972-934-8900. Robert Greening, call now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. Dateline, July 26th, as we record this. Many of you listening to this afterwards. But we go to Oxnard. Say, bro. Yes. I was going to say Dateline, Bullshit USA. <laughs> <laughs> I really was. That's what okay. popped in my head. Bullshit USA. And you're going to hear a lot about this, and I'm just going to kind of play this in the order that I recorded it, and we'll start with everything that Jerry had to say, then we'll go to what Stephen had to say, and then we'll play a couple of clips from Mike McCarthy. So we'll get through Jerry first, because Jerry, it, it, we'll just play it, because this... Starting off early on, this is Jerry Jones, who wanted to, I mean, pretty much right out of the gate, start the press conference, was like, let's pump the brakes on anybody other than Mike McCarthy, because this is the guy I want. This is Jerry discussing his new lover, Mike McCarthy. <laughs> Probably the, the one that I have the most sensitivity about, and that is Mike and him uh, coaching. And uh, I want to be real clear. He wouldn't be sitting here today if I didn't think he was the man to lead this team to a Super Bowl. He would not be, and I have choices. And uh, so that's not meant to be insensitive to anybody. That's a fact. And so uh, you guys write about a lot of those choices, and they were there for my use had I wanted them. And uh, no, the guy to my right is who I'm convicted about, have been, we certainly have had things we've addressed the way we've addressed them in the off season. I think we've uh, have successfully put together a staff that really from this vantage point gives us absolutely the best chance with our makeup and our team to uh, get to the ultimate success. So I want to be real clear about that. 
Oh, he was real clear about that. He apparently really believes Mike McCarthy is the answer. Well, we'll see, man. But, um, you know, he said a lot of things today. He did. And <laughs> we'll, we'll get to a lot to. of them. <laughs> um, but, you know, Mike McCarthy's the, the, the coach. And, and I'm sure he at one level he does believe he can take him to a Super Bowl. Uh, but, I mean, let's, let's not be silly. You're not firing a dude after one season. Or after two seasons, especially after a 12-win season. So, you know, um, yeah, you got confidence in him. But there's also questions, and there are going to be questions, you know, as long as Sean Payton is out there. Um, and that's just the way it is. And and this is just this is just how I feel, bro. I told you I was going to be kind of uncensored today. Not that I ever am really censored, but sometimes I probably have more tact than others. But, like, Mike McCarthy makes $7 million a year. So I ain't really trying to hear how he's disappointed that he got to hear about his job security and his family has to read about it. Bro, that's, that's the deal. That's the job, man. Yeah. That, come with, that come with the meal. Um, no different. And I told my parents this. I mean, my dad this especially. Uh, my mom, uh, it was just a teeny, teeny bit before she passed. But my dad and my siblings, man, I was like, hey, y'all don't need to read the comments on any column I write. All that's going to do is piss you off. <laughs> I mean, like, for real. Yeah, that's the truth. That's because the truth. people are going to call me an idiot. People are going to call me the N-word. People are going to call me dumb and stupid and all this other stuff. And y'all are getting salty about it. But I don't get salty. Why, Matt? It come with the job. Yeah. You're going to be a columnist at a paper like the Dallas Morning News, a top five media market, and you black and you got opinions? You dumb if you think somebody ain't going to call you the N-word on a regular basis. And so you just deal with it, come with the territory. But guess what, Matt? That's why they paid me what they paid me. Yeah. Going back to your point of Mike McCarthy, this comes with the right. territory. The negativity That's what I, yeah. and the questions and the what the hell are you doing and how the hell is that the final play that you have drawn up in a home playoff game against a team you should have beaten, that comes with it. Now, his next comment here, and, and this is where we're about to play a series of comments here, I feel like, from Jerry that some of them make you want to pull your hair out. Some of them make you want to just be like, and, and I apologize again. I know my mom doesn't necessarily <laughs> like when I say this word, and I would imagine the lady friend's mom doesn't, but you're about, we're about to get into what the fuck territory. And right, 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 right. that's just the way this went today. But before we do that, he had some very, and read into this now, because he doesn't come out and say, look, this dude didn't get the vaccine and that pissed me off because everybody else got it that wanted to be here. But listen to how he talks about losing Amari Cooper, losing Randy Gregory, and why that happened and why they did not bring them back. When you have that kind of, of uh, responsibility, which you do when uh, you have that much of the financial pie. So what I'm trying to say is those decisions were made more about availability than ability. And they were made as to how you arrived at not being unavailable at times. And so let me be real clear. We're in a sport, we're uh, in football, where certainly your skill level and your ability to be a player is, uh, is why you're even being considered as a player. But more important than anything, these decisions that we made, I made, relative to uh, uh, top players, not being here had everything to do with their availability and their my concern about their availability availability had everything to do with it but you have to have number one thing is how we win a football game if you're going to be in the top 10 
of paid players in my mind for the team. Check I at the door. It's we when you go through the door. I mean, that's that I thought very pointed of saying, look, you aren't you weren't available because you chose not to get the vaccine and you're one of the highest paid players on this team. I paid your ass to be here. Now you're not. Yeah, now see, I'm gonna keep it real with you. I think we knew Jerry was pissed about that during the season, uh, based on the way he he answered questions about it during the season. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that. Uh, I'm not now, and, and I think he has every right to feel that way about Amari Cooper. And so if that went into his decision-making process and he kind of held a grudge and felt salty about it and said, hey, I don't want that dude on my team, I can disagree and say, on the real, bro, you didn't had people like Greg Hardy on your team. And so you're going to draw the line and somebody didn't want to take the jab? I mean, okay, I suppose. But um, the Randy Gregory thing I'm not buying because you wanted that dude and it was only the language at the end. You had offered him the money. You would said, hey, we good with the money, 70 million, 28 guarantees. You good with that. It was only uh, the language at the end you didn't like. And to me, that was just kind of like, ah, it's whatever, dog. So I'm not buying it with Randy Gregory. I am buying it with Amari Cooper. I agree. Amari Cooper, I totally get it. And that's how they felt. And, and, you know, he had a long explanation about when you're one of the top 10 guys on this team and you need to produce at a certain level. And and I didn't have any problem with that. I got what he was saying. You and I have spent who knows how many hours this offseason on this very podcast trying to figure out, is that a Cowboys organizational thing? Is it a Amari Cooper thing? Is it a Dak thing? Is it a Kellen Moore thing? But we get why Amari Cooper's not here. So now we're getting into the territory that I was talking about. You're going to WTF yourself. I'll be, this is flat out honest, what I'm about to tell you. I was doing my radio show when they were having this press conference. So I am like reading clips off of Twitter during breaks of my show. And I saw that Chill had tweeted out this, this quote that I'm about to play for you. And I just laughed and I was like, no way. I was like, there's no way. So then when I got home and I listened to it, I literally laughed out loud when Jerry Jones had this to say about how this version of the Cowboys and where he thinks they are. Here he is. I think we're in better shape today to make a run at it than when we were sitting here this time last year. And I say that following what I said right before that. I thought last year we had a chance to make a heck of a run at and had people in place that if we were healthy enough, uh, we might get them. And I think we're in better shape. How? And, and we'll get to the how because immediately Todd Archer and, and Chill and Calvin, you could hear them all. Whoa, what, what did you just say? How in the. Now how, me, what? Now, let me tell you why. And Matt knows the answer, but I'm telling y'all, this is for those of you who don't know why. Like the read. Now, check this out, Matt. I'm listening to this, and in my mind, I'm like, the next question had better be why. And the reason is. Anybody who understands how to interview and what your purpose and goal is when interviewing, anybody who understands that says, okay, Jerry, that's fine. If you made that statement, that's cool. But you're going to have to explain to us why you think you're better after losing Randy Gregory, losing Amari Cooper, losing Cedric Wilson, you know, losing Lyle Collins, guys who were key components of your team last year. Why? And and we all know who they replaced those guys with. So explain us how you're better when on paper you replace those key players with lesser players. 
And that was the very next question from a variety of, I mean, and I did not see this press conference. I can only imagine that all the guys we know were as in stunned disbelief as we are trying to leap out of their, their seats to be like, what in the hell are you talking about? How, why Jerry, why is this team in better shape this year than it was last year? Oh, here's Jerry's answer. Uh, First of all, this guy sitting right here. Mike McCarthy. Uh, with what with what we know that we didn't know this time last year, not me about him, but about our team, what we know about our team. But I, I will say it one more time, this guy sitting right here, the staff he's got, I like this staff. And I frankly like uh, the makeup of uh, uh, the players one year later that were on this team last year, and I like the new players that we brought on. Uh, you say it's hard to count on a rookie. A rookie has a trouble making that kind of impact. We're fresh off seeing one make a hell of an impact in Micah. So I know it can happen. Does that happen often? No. But can you get a player or players that can come in and be real impactful, not just come in and play well, but be impactful? That's possible. We've got a couple of shots at that. What are we doing? Bruh, what, what, what is what are we talking about, Jerry? Well, we had one last year in Micah. So you're telling me that of all your draft picks and all your street free agents and undrafted free agents that coming in, you're hoping what that 10 of them turn out to be Micah? I mean, that to me just made no sense, man. And it made no sense in part because where did you draft Micah Parsons at? Number 11. Um, which and he was an elite talent, he was the highest rated defense player on your board. And no matter whose board you had, he was a top two or three defensive player available. And so now, fast forward. Okay, what do they tell us about most drafts, Matt, as it pertains to first-rounders in a draft? Oh, you're actually asking me the question. I thought yeah, it was this rhetorical. this is not a rhetorical question. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got to tell Matt this. I, I tell Matt it's a rhetorical question. Really yeah, generally. And then I was like, he's pausing a long time. I guess he wants me to jump in. <laughs> no, I mean, when you yeah. draft a guy in the first round, that somebody needs to start for your team and make an impact. Not just that, but what do they tell us? They tell us that basically a draft has 16 to 18 legitimate, right. true first-round picks. So if you're drafting 24, let's just do the math, Matt. What are the odds that you're getting a legitimate first-round draft choice? Slim and none. And so they draft a guy, and, you know, I, this is not me beating up on Tyler Smith. This is just me dealing with reality, man. It ain't my job to have hope, faith, and optimism. It's my job to deal in reality. That's what I do. That's what I've always done. That's why y'all like the fact I cover the Cowboys, because I don't deal in the bullshit. It's just straight reality. And the reality is, you drafted a dude that got 14 holding penalties and struggled at times at Tulsa. Now, does he have great potential? Well, sure he does. Nobody's arguing that. But we know he struggled at a group of five schools and you took him in the first round. So if he struggled at times at a group of five school in the first round, what should we expect of him in the NFL, Matt? We should definitely expect him to struggle at times in the NFL. And that's your first round pick. Yes. So, no. Yes. I don't have a lot of faith that Jalen Tobert or Sam Williams, the second round defensive end, is going to be you know the next Randy Gregory, so to speak. And the reality of it is, and he, we're about to play a, a, because the follow-up on that answer about, well, what is it about those guys? Because here's my immediate thought. I imagine everybody listening is having this thought. 
You can't tell me that Jalen Tolbert, may, maybe you're right, and he's going to come in and he will develop and be a really good player for you. There is no way that rookie-level Jalen Tolbert is as good as what Amari Cooper was when he left. Now, maybe he can get that good. I have no idea. But he's not walking in, right? No. There is no way that Sam Williams, as a rookie second-round pick, is as good as what you thought Randy Gregory was when you lost him that you tried to pay $17 million for to keep him with you. There's no Now, can he develop into that? Perhaps he can. But right now, walking in, he is lesser than where Randy Gregory would have been with the experience of being an NFL veteran that Randy Gregory had. So you start thinking about all this, and you go down the list of the guys they lost and the guys they brought in and the lack of experience and the experience that walked out the door. Oh, but Jerry has an answer ready for you on that as well. It's always projections. It's always the day that uh, the veteran players, uh, are they tailing off? The rookie players, are they coming? It's always measuring sitting right here we're almost two and a half college seasons away from being in the playoffs okay we've got about 20 games to go before we get to the playoffs you'll have some veteran players not be what they were by the time you get to the playoff you'll have some young players become better than they were it's always measuring how they're going to get there Uh, really only god knows that for sure but our our assessment of that and how we bet on that relative to what we spend to get there since that is limited in a part of the game uh uh, that's the that's the game okay what did he and you start making that in the right when we started last year when we uh decided to extend or we decided not to extend players so basically what he's telling us is And again, there's no way that he truly believes that. Like you let guys like Gregory and Amari Cooper go because those are veteran players and the way they project versus the rookies we're able to bring in, it's kind of a wash. Like what? No, it's not. Mm. Like what he said right there makes zero sense to me. Oh, that's why I asked you like literally what was he saying? I wasn't being funny. I was like literally like what you just said doesn't make sense to me. And what are you really saying? And that's his explanation for why they think the amount of new players they have coming in are going to lead them to the original answer of this team being in a better spot right now than it was a year ago is because of what he just said. Nah, bro. (laughs) Now, I, I will say, because somebody did ask him his thoughts about Dak Prescott, and there's a little bit here that if this is what they're banking on and this is what they want to roll with, then fine. But here's Jerry's response to Dak. One of the things that make me say that the most is that Dak does have last year behind him, and he's got several years behind him now. And uh, uh, I feel like we have one of the best people at that position and one of the best people uh, that a team has in the NFL. He's a big part of my optimism. I can understand that. You know, and Stephen later on will echo that as well. Look, to some degree I get, like when I heard that, I said, okay, so in my head, Based on everything I've heard Jerry say so far, what I'm hearing is that you invested a shit ton of money in this quarterback. You need him to play at a certain level because you're letting other guys go and you believe you've got a quarterback who should be able to lift the inexperienced, the youth, and make some of these players better because that's why you paid him. Okay, and that's fine if you believe that. That's, that's fine. That makes sense. Um, you know, you just got to get that out of him. Uh, you know, the question has always been, is Dak 
the type of guy who can elevate guys enough to the level that uh, that that he can lead you some to some places where this team hadn't been in a very long time. That's the question that'll be answered this year. I haven't seen it in the past. Now, I like Dak as a quarterback. I like his consistent improvement, and so I believe that he's the kind of guy who can get to that level. But again, I ain't seen it yet. And as much as I like Dak, I can't co-sign on it until I've seen it. So Jerry continues, and he had a lot to say. And this is one of his, I suppose, more, more lengthy answers where he really goes down the rabbit hole here on trying to convince us that he would be willing to do anything on whatever it would take to get a Super Bowl. But as you listen to this, and again, this one is probably one of the ones that he talked about the most. I mean, he, he you know, Jerry will ramble from, from time to time, but this is one of those where you're like, okay, Jerry, we get it, and he just continues to go. But here's Jerry. Basically, the core of this is he'll do anything. Uh, my uh, curse is that I don't spend a lot of time on my mess-ups or the, the what didn't go right. I hang on, I really do, this isn't a pep talk, you're getting here, but I really do go to the uh, successes. And um, I go right past, uh, uh, you say, well, you learn from, from how you might have done it differently that got you there, but uh, hopefully there's some of that. But really, I don't spend a lot of time. Uh, I started to get some uh, games and some seasons and some stats together for visiting with you today a little bit, and I decided against it over the last several years. Uh, but I don't look at that. Today is uh, today, and this season is to, this season. Uh, we're here, and uh, uh, some of us aren't here. And so uh, that motivates me to uh, uh, live in the day. And so we're going to give it everything we've got. We're giving it everything we got. If we could have spent everything we have available in the cap, and we could have spent it uh, uh, and mortgaged some more, if I thought it was the best way to win this year, or win in the immediate future, then we would have done it. If your logic shows you that. And I have done it. And anybody here that uh, realized that I'm a risk taker, and I'll take them with the best of them. And so my point is, uh, what you see is the best I got here. And what you see with what we've got available to us in our cap, uh, that's the best spot to be in, in my mind. And I'm a risk taker. Uh, so we've got a little uh, a dry powder. That's not necessarily for this season. That cap room is available for uh, a future as well. We all know that. And so, you know, you sum all of that up and uh, you got our best shot. What you're seeing right here today as we go. Tomorrow is another day and we... Not that have anything in mind, but that uh, 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 I do believe in changing your mind and would in a second if it'll help our team. So a long answer there uh, of, hey, it's all about right now. Essentially, it's all about the moment. Like I was going to come with a bunch of stats and show you guys. But I was like, nah, because I don't really do that. I'm all about the right now and in the moment. And, and, and Stephen will reference this in one of his comments, too. And you heard Jerry say that, well, we've got some dry powder. For those that don't know, the Cowboys have about almost $21 million in cap space, which shockingly, Amari Cooper would have fit in, but Bro. doesn't matter anymore. 
And they both kind of reference this. And it's going to only make, you're going to go insane when we get to Steven. Because we're not even done with Jerry yet, but you hear Jerry talking about all this stuff, and it's like, I would do anything. And if I thought mortgaging the future would matter, and if I thought doing this would matter, and then the explanations he's giving us, I feel like at this point of Cowboys fandom, none of us are buying. Bro, ain't nobody buying that because it doesn't matter. I think, um, I just think that the better thing is to just just do what you were going to do, man. I mean, Van Von Miller was out there. Yep. Other people were out there. Your cap space in two years doesn't matter. Go win now. That's what people care about. So we've got two more cuts from Jerry here, including this one, because, and, and this was kind of a funny moment because it was Chill that asked him about this. And he said, you know, basically the question from Chill was along the lines of, you know, with all this, it's been 20 years since you've had any real success. What makes you think that history cannot repeat it? Kind of like that type of thing. And Jerry laughed and goes, well, thanks for being so tender about it. But here's Jerry's response on that championship game drought. We've done some things uh, 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 that got us uh, uh, a lot closer than those uh, zeros in that championship game column show. Uh, I think we legitimately had three or four shots uh, that uh, we could have had another one. And the things that we did to get to where I could say that, in other words, those teams that had us close enough to think but for a play, a ruling on a catch, those type of things that you might have had you another Super Bowl or you might have had you another playoff. That sustains me. Awesome. Kick ass. So our owner's cool with, hey, man, you know, if that had gone the other way, we, we might could have done something. And that's now, what see, sustains him. See, here's my problem, bro. Like, I'm sitting here, and I've known Jerry more than 25 years. Uh, and I've known Jerry really well. Few people... Few people, there are a few, but few people know Jerry better than me. But a few of them that do. And I was like, do you really believe that? Like, I just don't think he really believes that. I think part of what makes him a marketing genius is he understands how to sell hope and sell other things yeah. to the fan base. And I think he's a very highly intelligent guy. Jerry's one of the smartest dudes you'll ever meet. Real talk, real talk. And I was just like, bro, you can't possibly believe that. <laughs> well, in, in the whole thing of, you know, we, we were a lot closer than those zeros in the championship game. That, that's like the guy who's like, well, I know we didn't score any touchdowns today, but, you know, if we had, we wouldn't have gotten shut out. Well, you did get shut out. Like, it is a zero in the championship bro. column. It doesn't I, matter. It should have, would have, could have. It's still zeros. I told y'all this one time, long time ago, man. Y'all remember the running back Byron Hansbrough played for DeSoto, played for Texas Tech, yeah. started Texas Tech. Yeah. Played a few years with the Falcons. Well, he he gained he had a five touchdown performance against Sam Houston when he was at DeSoto. Arlington Sam Houston. That I'll never forget because it's one of the few games my mom went to the press box with me. And so she watched the game with me. So I was down there getting quotes after the game. And I'll never forget Ken O.Z., the head coach of Sam Houston. Now, Hans Bryant scores five touchdowns, and I'm just – I can't remember the exact details, but 
One was like a kickoff return. There was like a catch for 60 yards and three runs of more than like 50 yards. And after the game, OZ looks me dead in the eye. Well, what are you talking about? Outside the big plays, we really contained him. <laughs> like, and he said it with a straight face, bro. And I'm like, outside of the big plays, you really contained him? Okay. If that's your quote, coach, I'll go with it. And I'm just like, I love Ken OZ. But, dude, you sound like an idiot right now. I mean, outside yes. of the big plays, we controlled him. He had like 280 yards total offense on like 12 touches or something. I'm just like, every play was a big play, bro. That's what Jerry's doing. That's what I'm saying. I mean, Jerry's trying to sit here and convince everybody that Adez had caught it. And, you know, a couple other things that happened with a variety of other of, of those other teams that we've talked about in the past, that the Cowboys would have four Super Bowls in the last 25 years. Yeah. Like, he's but almost forgetting. what, Matt? Like, Check this out, bro. Let me ask you, because I want an unbiased opinion. Did any of that shit happen? No, actually, it didn't happen. Okay, I remember because I, I, I remember watching the games. And it didn't happen. And it's almost as if he's forgetting that, okay, so if Dez caught it, Aaron Rodgers still had five minutes left in the game. Let's, let's say the Cowboys win that game. Yeah, a lot of us think they probably would have won the Super Bowl that year. You still had to win the NFC. Like, these aren't even championship game miscues that we're talking about. Nah, bro. I mean, that's like saying, well, you know, if we had gotten a playoff at the end of the 49ers game last year, shit, we'd probably win the Super Bowl. Oh, okay, so you just yeah, ignore the divisional round, the championship game round, and the fact that you got to play the Super Bowl. It's easy to do when plays like that happen in games. You say, well, you know, if that hadn't happened, we probably would have won the Super Bowl, even though we still had to go through two whole other games. So go figure, man. We come back to this season to 2022. Mike Ducey straight up asked him, what is success for 2022? What does that mean for this season to be a success? Well, I need to win it. I need, I need to win it. I'll be candid with you. Um, uh, uh, there's degrees. Uh, I want to be fair to everybody concerned. Uh, we need to uh, 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 be in the playoffs. We need to be viable in the playoffs to have a, be a successful season. He basically is sitting there going, I need to win it, then realizes, oh, shit, Mike McCarthy's sitting right next to me. I mean, you know, to be fair to everybody concerned, we need to be viable in the playoffs. <laughs> that's, that's what I took from it. He's basically saying... I expect that we're making a run in the playoffs or your ass is gone. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what happens is when you put the expectation out there, okay, now we all at least have a barometer of what a successful season is yeah. entails. And, I, and I'm not really uh, disappointed by that because nothing you do matters if you don't get to the playoffs. Now, what have I told you, Matt, privately? I don't know if I've said it so much publicly. Like, <laughs> this doesn't seem to me to be – and NFC East division champion. It seems I've, I've got the Eagles winning the NFC East as of today, and I don't really see that changing now that camp is here unless there's some, uh, you know, um, traumatic injury to somebody in camp. But I, I just think the Eagles are a better team. And in the NFC East, you haven't had a repeat champion in almost 20 years. Uh, that's more than a coincidence. Yeah. So... Um, so I get everything he's saying. I get everything that's going on. But, uh, bro, I mean, at some point, I mean, it just is what it is. It is. And, and you've got to realize that. You've got to understand that if you're Jerry Jones. So, look, I want to win it too, man. I totally want to win it. And I think if you go through that crap you went through last year and you 
you show up at home and you're like, hey, all my friends are here. We're ready to party. You drop trowel and take a dump in the middle of the living room. Then I'm removing you from the party. And that's what Mike McCarthy did last year in the playoff game. And he should be removed from the party if they don't have success this year. So we still have some audio to get to from Steven. But before we do that, let's tell you real quick, if we may, about Freeway Tire Shop. JR and his guy. I mean, hell, JR's a Cowboys fan. He'll, he'll talk Cowboys with you. You know, get over there. Jacques knows better than anybody. When you need work done on your vehicles, you need to get over to Freeway Tire Shop because no one does it better than JR. JR's like the opposite of Jerry. He's not like trying to be, ooh, Hope, Faith, and Osterman. No. <laughs> JR gets under the hood and gets the work done. Bruh, it's about trust, man. Real talk. I trust JR. Real talk, man. I trust him to diagnose the issue with one of my six vehicles. Hey, all but one of them's paid off, so don't judge me. Um, I trust him to use quality parts to fix whatever's wrong with my vehicles. I trust him to uh, give me a fair price. And we all know that doesn't always happen where they say, hey, um, the parts are only 20 bucks, but the labor's like two and a half million. I mean, we've all been there. And we're like, really? Come on, man. Really? And then I trust him to stand behind his work, which not everybody does. No one is infallible. Sometimes they say, hey, this is fixed. You drive off and they go and you pull it back. Say, hey, it's making the same old noise. And then you got to go explain to the dealer why they shouldn't charge you again. And JR, he goes, you know what? I hear it. Let me do it again. Boom. Oh, here's what happened. I got it. I fixed it. Trust me. Take it out. It's good. And you know what, man? You can appreciate that because nobody's perfect. Yeah. And that's the beauty of JR. He ain't trying to say I'm perfect. Very rarely, mistake happens. We can't get it. We thought we had it, but we didn't. You bring it back. Now we got it. Okay? And guess what, dog? I can appreciate that. It's Freeway Tire Shop, man. The best of the best. Online, you can find uh, the place where you schedule your appointment. You can request a quote. FreewayTireShop.com. It's just north of downtown Dallas. So check them out. And right around the corner from Freeway Tire Shop is Smokey John's Barbecue. By far our favorite barbecue place in the North Texas area. I mean, it doesn't get better than Smokey John's Barbecue. And if you're listening and you've never had it yet, you need to swing by. Maybe you're a new listener and you didn't even realize this. You can order what's called the Jam Session Bowl off the secret menu. Yeah, it's a secret menu. Like you'll walk into the store and be like, Jam Session Bowl, Jam, I don't see it. You won't see it. You got to know about it. And the only way you know about it is by listening to the podcast. Your choice of made from scratch mashed potatoes or mac and cheese. Your choice of two different types of meat. And they do, I mean, brisket and ribs. They do it all, man. They've got it down. Sausage. I mean, it's, it's delicious. Then your choice of how you want to top it with all the toppings and the cheese, the Smokey John's barbecue sauce, only available to Jam Session listeners. And you know, when you order that, off the secret menu, they do offer a complimentary drink that comes along. Delicious. So get on over there, man. Smokey John's Barbecue. Juan and Brent, they listen to the podcast, man. Juan will talk about the podcast. They'll talk cowboys with you. Locals, family-owned. It's the best. It's Smokey John's Barbecue. Go do it. No, it really, it really is, bro. And if you don't live in DFW and you want a little taste of Smokey John's, they can take care of that, too. You go to the website, you click on the marketplace. There's the sauce that Matt, seriously, can drink straight from the bottle. There's the rub that they put on all their meats. It's there for you, and you can have a little taste of Smokey John's at your crib anywhere in this here U.S. of A in a couple of days. It's easy to do. Smokey John's barbecue, make it happen. 
So we continue our analysis, our frustrations, our expressions, our opinions, whatever you want to call these, of the Dallas Cowboys season opening press conference in Oxnard today. We'll jump from Jerry, and now we'll let you hear what Stephen Jones had to say. And you'll remember some of this because, I mean, hey, father and son, man, they're arm in arm, like, oh, hey, we're rich as hell. Who cares if we win anything? So we get to this point with Stephen, and he also echoes a little bit what Jerry had to say about the idea of why they're excited and the young players they have on this team. Well, I think, uh, you know, one of the things when you talk about how are you going to get better, as Jerry mentioned, availability, consistency. I mean, it's time to give some of our young players like a C.D. Lamb, uh, like a Steele and a, uh, a Tyler Smith and a Willetsko and a Ball, you know, the opportunity to step up. I mean, those are that's that's what you look for in these players. Same thing, you know, uh, you know, in the defensive line, you get a draft of Sam Williams, you got a Fowler, you got a. Dorrance Armstrong, which may have been hard to keep. I mean, we we have a, a good young roster uh, over the last two or three or four drafts, uh, you know, that are going to be coming up and that we're going to want to keep around here because we do like our foundation, our young foundation. And so uh, uh, I just think it's time for these players to get the opportunity to step up. And, and when they do step up, of course, they're going to want paid too. Uh, but, uh, you know, who's to say where we are? Uh, with how this roster is going to look like when we get eight games into the season, when we get to the end of the year. I mean, we, uh, you know, we'll continue to look for ways to improve our roster and, and make this team better. So uh, we feel really good uh, uh, about our young group. Uh, and as you said, Clarence, projections. Uh, maybe you can say they're projections. We've got a lot of resources tied up, whether it's draft collateral or, uh, you know, what we think of these young players. And and really feel like at the end of the day that they're ready to take the next step. Okay, again, I don't know what to tell you guys other than they're, for instance, when he goes through, hey, look at the defensive line. I mean, we, we've got an opportunity to have Sam Williams come in here. We have no idea what the hell he's going to be, but our projections, look at Dante Fowler Jr. You guys, can you believe that we were able to sign a guy off the street on a one-year $5 million contract? <laughs> we couldn't either. No other team wanted him. You guys, how about Dorrance Armstrong Jr.? We talk about availability. He missed a few games last year, only had five sacks, but hey. You know, those are the guys, our projections. It's, it's like they're trying to sit here and say, we have fancy stat algorithms that you guys don't know about. We know more than you. Bro, I mean, it just is what it is, man. You, you can't listen to that and be like, okay. You know, because the reality is they're working on a hope and a dream. They're not working on like, oh, we know this guy's a four-time pro bowler, so we expect him to play to that level. They're like, hey, can we get somebody to show up and be dominant as a rookie this year? I mean, maybe you can, maybe you can't, but it's not something you can count on, not something you can bank on, not something you can say, oh, yeah, 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 this is going to happen. Right. This is just a hope and a dream, bro, and that's why it's a flawed approach. Yeah, you're exactly right. We're not right. even talking about high draft picks. It'd be different if we're talking about guys taking in the, you know, the first six picks of the draft. Okay, now there's a reason and an expectation like uh, that you think these guys are going to be great. But these are just guys taken at the end of the first round or whatever round they were taking because the Cowboys had the 24th pick. So, I mean, come on, man. Yeah, and look, to his point, they have had. The problem is like some of the guys that he's talking about that really make the depth of the last couple of drafts are, are really, quite frankly, like guys like CeeDee Lamb and Trayvon Diggs. 
You know, when, when you look at guys like, like Micah Parsons and you look at that and, and you sit there like when he said that, I was like, OK, yes. And I get that you're banking on that. But I mean, let's be real here. You're also in a lot of cases with some of those draft picks, even in the last two or three drafts like he's talking about. You know, you're hoping that Kelvin Joseph, we don't have a freaking clue what that dude can do. Yeah, you know what? Odigizua was pretty solid last year. I'll give you that. But guys like Nashawn Wright, you know, Jabril Cox, we 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 have no Josh Ball, we do not know about. Gallimore looks like he's got a little something, but we talk about availability. He's had some injury problems. You know, Tyler right, right, Biotish. Right. I mean, is he all of a sudden going to morph into Travis Frederick? So really what they're talking no. about is all these picks that they've had – you know, they've got, what, like three, four starters out of the last three draft classes, and they've got a couple of guys that might have some depth, but there's a lot of unknowns, a lot of unknowns, that apparently they are totally comfortable on counting on carrying this team. And that's not even talking about the 2022 class, which nobody, you have no idea on that class. The interesting part is not only are they talking about taking those guys, man, they got $21 million in cap space, so they didn't have to. This is a choice that they're making. And here's the deal, Matt, uh, and, and this is just my approach. Uh, it's okay if you make that choice. I mean, it really is. This is a choice we made. And because it's a choice that you willfully made, um, real talk, bro, you get all the credit if it turns out good. Just like you get all the criticism and blame if it turns out bad. Well, let me play another Steven clip for you because maybe we really let, let's put our Cowboys. I've got my Jersey on my hat on, you know, I squeezed into my 1995 Super Bowl champion shirt that I, I, I got when I was a, a young teenager, I'm, I'm putting on my Cowboys blue tinted glasses. You know what guys, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to believe you're right about the youth. Then why is Steven doing this? I'm uh, just uh, looking forward to see what this camp brings uh, for our young group. Uh, we certainly do have some dry powder uh, if we need to use it. Uh, you know, I've always said about cap space, it's uh, where you've massaged it to that point. I mean, you can create cap space. You cannot have cap space if you want to have it uh, out there looking like that to where you can create it when you want to. Uh, but I do think uh, we're sitting in a good spot, uh, one, uh, to see what these young players can do, but two, uh, if we need to make improvements to this roster and there's opportunities to do that, then we'll look at it. He literally just told you, we think these guys are good, but shit, we don't really know. So if they're not, we got $21 million we can go spend. That's literally what he just told you. Yet they I spent the whole press just... conference. I mean, what are we doing here? He flat out just said, we don't know. So we had to make sure we have $21 million in cap space in case we need to use it to go get some guys. Yeah, but who are you going to get right now, bro? Exactly. <laughs> and then he flat out after they spent the entire offseason well you know cap space and we got to worry about this guy's getting paid this he just told you Stephen Jones in that clip right there just told you what Jacques and I have been telling you on the radio and on the podcast for four years you know cap space is one of those things if you want some you can create it if you don't have it you can have, I mean he what are we doing that that, Check my that head, I mean my god that clip right there is the one that I sat there and I said even if I wanted to believe you when you feed me this shit about your young players and how much you believe in them, when you literally sit there and tell me we're excited about these young players, but you know, reality of it is we got a bunch of cap space in case it doesn't pan out. Cause we don't know. We don't know what we're doing. I mean, why, why was I born into a Cowboys family? 
Bro, I got no words for you. Oh, my goodness gracious. I mean, this is this is one of the most comical, frustrating openings to a season I can ever remember. Because I don't even know if they truly believe the shit that they're telling us. I honestly don't. I, like, it makes me oh, wonder. I don't, think they, I don't think they believe it at all. I mean, it's almost like Steven let a little something slip right there, you know? Like, oh, my goodness. And then it continues because why not while we're at it? Even though he just told us, hey, they've got they've got some dry powder to play with. <laughs> it's it's like when we went to the media party, right? And it's like, hey guys, you know, the, the Jones pay for the media party. We're at Nobu in Malibu. It's amazing. Somebody tells me, Oh, by the way, if you ask for Johnny Walker Blue, they have it. It's like, really? I didn't see it out. Well, they don't want you to know they have it, but if you need it, it's there. But anyway, here's Stephen Jones. Yeah. Here's Stephen Jones, because we've talked about this. I don't know how you can look at this offensive line and not have concerns, but again, I'm not Stephen Jones. You know, I, we don't look at, look at them as question marks as much as we do opportunities. These guys deserve a chance. I mean, they've been, you know, in behind one of the better offensive lines in the league for the last 10, 12 years. So it's been very difficult to step up and take Tyron Smith's spot, Zach Martin's spot, Lyle Collins' spot. I mean, those are, those are big challenges. And uh, I just look at it as not question marks as much as I do you know, opportunities for some very skilled players that are not only did our scouts think a lot of when we drafted them, uh, but what our coaches think of them now. So, uh, you know, I, like I said, I don't look at it as question marks. I look at it as it's going to be a great competition for guys to get an opportunity uh, to step up and be the next great offensive lineman for the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I don't know what to say anymore, man. I mean, Tyron Smith is not being replaced. No, <laughs> neither Zach is Zach Martin. Is not being replaced. No. Um, Lyle Collins is being replaced uh, by Ty. Uh, what's his name? Um, Steele. Terrence Steele. Terrence Steele. So we hope he can do the job. But that's the way the Cowboys go about their misinformation. Like, we weren't talking about, about that, bro. We're talking about your left guard, the rookie who struggled at Tulsa. And here's all I'm saying, man. You can say it's a technique issue, and hey, we can clean that up real quick, Matt. No big deal. Okay, until you clean it up, it ain't for me to believe you. Yeah. <laughs> you're, no, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. I mean, it's just not. Once you clean it up, I go, hey, this is all I can tell you. Y'all did a hell of a job. You and Joe Philbin, hell of a job, man, getting that dude's technique right so he didn't commit so many holding penalties. So we have one more comment from Stephen Jones here. And it, look, you know, they, we all know the guys that they're about on this. They had some nice comments about CeeDee Lamb. They had some nice comments about Zeke. But again, they cycle back around. And Stephen was asked a couple of things. He was directly asked about the Dak Prescott contract and, and how, wow, you may have to all of a sudden renew it again. And he talked about how that was a challenge for them with the length and, and the optimism. But here's his comments on that contract, the situation with Dak. Well, as you know, one of our biggest, uh, you know, one of our biggest challenges was length. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, <laughs> it's going to be popping up again real quick because we went along with the, with the shorter length. So you pay attention to these all the time. And certainly, uh, you know, we'll always going to uh, be thinking about Dak and how he affects us and, uh, you know, from a salary cap standpoint, but uh, yes, I mean he's always in the in the back of our mind when you're managing uh, the salary cap with this football team. Uh, he's a big part of it, and obviously well deserved. Uh, you know, I know 
you know, at the end of the day, he's a common theme and why we're so optimistic. And he is a common theme. And again, it goes back to that Dak question of, is he the quarterback that can step up and make everybody else around you better? Because we got all these young guys, but really Dak is the guy that we all believe in that is good enough to do something with this. Now, you know, your favorite columnist, Matt, well, one of your favorite columnists, Uh-oh. wrote something about that today. Did you? Yeah, bro. And I'm sure that's why my girl Jane Slater brought it up. I'm sure it I mean, is. I'm, 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 <laughs> no, for real. I'm just saying I'm sure that's yes. why it popped up. Now, and the only thing I wrote is that, and we talked about this on the podcast the other day, which is why I wrote it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, say what you want to. Uh, there's a lot of consternation about Dak's deal when he signed it. Hey, he's not worthy. He's overpaid. He's this, he's that. And Matt and I tried to tell you, that's just because of doing business in today's NFL. If you want a tier one or a tier two quarterback, they pretty much cost about $40 million a year. And the point I was raising is hopefully the Cowboys have learned from the negotiations with Dak. And if they want him to be the quarterback again, They'll start negotiations next year because, think about it, man, next year will be his third year. He has a four-year deal. There's no way in the world you want him going into the fourth year. Yeah. Unsigned. And here's why, for those of you who would be like, well, why not? If he gets to the fourth year, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever he should sign. He said, I'll just take you to free agency. Mm-hmm. Because I'm, I'm this close. I should just take it there. So you want to sign him really in year three, which is why it was a genius move from uh, Dak to go with a three-year deal. And the Cowboys didn't have any choice. They weren't, they weren't signing a longer deal. So they, they held out as long as they could before they acquiesced and allowed Dak to sign this shorter-term deal. Um, but the what I wrote, man, was that I hope they've learned the lessons of the past, which is the price ain't never going down. So hit them with a legit offer, where, whether it's $53 million or $54 million or whatever it is, and just go and get them signed. Because as long as you BS with it, yep. ultimately, the more it's going to cost you. Yeah, and, and I really got to say, you know, to me, that, that Stephen Jones really addressed something that I felt sorry. I don't, I don't know if this is a Jones like the men of the Jones family struggle with this or what, but I mean, this is something, just listen to what he says here again. Well, as you know, one of our biggest, uh, you know, one of our biggest challenges was length. I mean, that's tough, man. That is tough to be challenged with length. Bro, never been a problem for me or most black men, but hey. (laughs) I couldn't help myself. As soon as I heard him say that, I was like, oh my God. Oh, you got to love that. I just thought it was funny. So there you have it. And then uh, one cut here from Mike McCarthy to wrap up kind of our Cowboys conversation, a a very lengthy Cowboys conversation here on the podcast today. But this was something that Mike McCarthy said that I kind of thought, okay, because he really tried to address the penalty situation and explain it in a way, and it kind of made sense. But listen to how he describes the team. And when you watch the Cowboys, is this how you – would these be three words that you describe the Cowboys with? Our team identity is discipline, grit, and fundamentally sound. So, uh, you know, as we build that each and every year, yeah, we, we, we definitely need to be better in the area of, of penalties. We're, you know, we're going to focus on that. And, and the one thing about the penalties, it really falls under the category when you talk about team identity is, is in the category of discipline. You know, at the end of the day, 
when you're trying to establish a play style, which you know I felt like we hit the target last year. We did. We were up and down in year one with our play style. But when you approach your play style, you know we're not trying to be disciplined and then play just hard enough. You know we come from another. We 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 want an aggressive, physical play style, and 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 we cross the line too much. So. Uh, our discipline is pulling back. You know, it, this is not a group that I have to push forward. And that's very important in, in how you train in the reality of the mistakes that are made and how we need to, you know, tighten it down. So our play style and the way we attacked the season last year, that's what it looks like. But the discipline in that, we need to be better. We've, we've, we've identified with that. We've addressed it. Um, and it, it has to be part of our daily function. But um, I do not want to lose the play style that we've established. So um, that's the goal. So you, you hear that. And again, you know, I get his, his kind of explanation there of, of why maybe being a little bit over aggressive and what he wanted. But I'm just going to play the beginning of that clip again. His three team, his adjectives he uses as this is their team identity. Our team identity is discipline, grit, and fundamentally sound. So, discipline, grit, and fundamentally sound. And I heard them say that today. I was like, man, that's I don't. Like, I, I ain't seen that. I don't think I would use any of those three words to describe the Cowboys. <laughs> no, but you know that's what they're trying to achieve. So I get that. I understand that. I'm not going to cut him for that. But they got to do a better job of doing that. They didn't do yeah. that last year, so they got to do a better job of doing that, man. There's just really no way around it. Yeah, very much so. But th that's the opening press conference. I mean, they, they spoke at the podium today for like an hour and 15 minutes. Those were really some of the main highlights. I and mean, there's a lot of uh, stuff that you could just throw out. Uh, it's always like that when the Cowboys talk. I mean, half those opening things, you feel like, that, man, you could. it's like a movie. You're like, man, that was a really good movie, except it was an hour too long. Bro, let me tell you what the most interesting thing about this whole thing was. And you can say this most years. Yeah. Okay, you just played 15 cuts, I believe, or something like that. Right? Yeah, yeah. You played one from the head coach, Matt. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. I mean, he honestly, McCarthy didn't no, speak very much. And when he did speak, it was more about – the. Like, hey, I like Dak and his footwork looks like this. Like, he didn't offer a lot about what we want to know about. Like, the way that Jerry and Steven just take control of the press conference. Hell, Steven Jones, really, I mean, Jerry's 80% of the whole thing. 75%. Really? And I'd give, I'd give Steven probably 15%, maybe more than that. And then McCarthy's less than 10% of the entire press conference. Yeah, but check this out. They're just answering questions. And so what it drives home, once again, because I'm not breaking any news, is that the media believes the voice of Steven and the voice of Jerry is what really matters, not the coach's voice. Because if you go to other teams, and pick any team you want, man, the head coach has got 12 quotes. You know, mostly, most of the time the head coach is up there by himself. Certainly not with the GM and the, and the uh, VP of personnel. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just it's just always telling that with this particular franchise, the coach never gets the most questions. Like I don't think a coach has gotten the most questions at a press conference since, and I'll allow y'all to argue with me about this. But since Bill Parcells, because when Bill Parcells was the head coach, you believed that he was the guy whose opinion mattered the most. Yeah, it's clear from the questions. That media believes Jerry's opinion matters the most, followed by Stephen, followed by McCarthy. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think that you're dead on with that. And that, my friends, is your Dallas Cowboys season opening press conference. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And you know what? Maybe, maybe you guys think we're being too negative, which is rare for me because as most of you know that have been listening to us for a while, I'm about as gung-ho Cowboys fan as there can be. But, man, I'm struggling this year, guys. I really am. And I've, I've just gotten tired of it. And we kind of talked about this after they lost the 49ers in the playoffs last year. My, my frustration has gotten as high as it's ever been with this franchise because I feel like they are literally wasting it all over again. And that's hard to deal with. But what's Bro. also at times hard to deal with is your foundation, which is why HFX Foundation Repair exists. You may be noticing cracks. You may be noticing sticking doors. Who the hell knows? And, and all of a sudden, you know, do I have a serious problem? Well, that's when you pick up the phone, 817-770-0174. You give Aaron and his crew a call at HFX Foundation Solutions. You let them know, hey, I'm seeing some things, and they'll come out. It's a free, no-obligation inspection to give you peace of mind. Maybe you have a problem, maybe you don't. If you do, they're with you the whole step of the way. They're all the way through with you, and they offer third-party financing. If you don't, he'll give you a good letter, say, hey, here are some things that you could do, some pointers to help you out and maintain. You're good, but you don't know if you don't call. Bro, it's it's really that simple. <laughs> you don't have to make it complicated. There's a reason why we call it a colonoscopy for your house, man. There's a reason why we do that. And um, you should give Aaron and his team an opportunity to come out and check your house out and give you that clean bill of health that comes with a perfect colonoscopy, colonoscopy scam like I received last year. All you got to do is pick up the phone, give him a call, 817-770-0174, 817-770-0174, HFX Solutions. Ask Aaron to come out there, check your crib out, and get that peace of mind. It'll happen for you. Or online, hfxfoundation.com. We got to take a trip around the block now that we've wrapped up our long Cowboys conversation because, man, there are some stories we at least got to mention them for you guys. I literally saw this earlier on Twitter, and I have to tell you, Anytime something like this happens at an airport like Love Field that I fly Bruh. in and out of a few times a year and that I will, yeah. I mean, I, anytime I fly to Dallas, I, I usually fly Southwest. Well, all of you listening, I would imagine, are aware of the, South, the Love Field airport shooter, and they released video of this, which is wild. 37-year-old Portia Odufuwa, was dropped off at the airport by an Uber driver who was not involved in this. She goes to the restroom. She's, she's dressed in a black hoodie. She goes to the restroom, comes out of the restroom, walks to where the ticketing area is where you would check your bags and, and print out your labels and all that, randomly stands looking around, raises a gun, and just begins firing into the ceiling. My God. Now, a Dallas police officer who happened to be right there immediately engages her and shoots her in the leg as she pointed the gun at the officer, which you can see clear as day on this video they've released. But it is one of the creepiest things, man, because you see all these people just milling about, oh, I'm got, I got to check my bag. I got to, I'm getting a tag for my bag. And man, she just unloads in the ceiling and people just take off. I mean, they are scattering. They are hitting the ground. It looks like the officer, he points the gun at her. You can't hear the audio. As soon as she points the gun at him, he fires and hits her in the leg. But, man, this, this is one of the most, like, this is just bizarre. Like, she didn't shoot anybody. She didn't try to shoot anybody. I, I, I have, like, I do not understand the explanation of why somebody would do this other than they want to go to jail for a long time. 
No, I think it's come out that she's had some some mental issues on the real. Uh, like I think she was uh, she, she had some some arson charges and some other stuff. And so yeah, I think she's mentally ill. Um, I don't think anybody who does stuff like this is. Uh, I don't think everybody who does stuff like this is mentally ill. But in her case, I think she is. Uh, but she committed a big enough crime now that she's going to go away to the mental health place, like for real. I mean, it's not a plaything. Like they're gonna send her away for a minute. Yeah. To get some real help and see if she can be helped and and put back into society. Yeah, man. I mean, apparently, like she said, she was Chris Brown's wife when all this went down. I mean, the video was nuts, man, and and it's really odd because when I first heard this and I saw what was going on, I thought this this strikes me as suicide by cop, like like yeah. you wanted to go somewhere where you thought that they might engage you and just take you down because she wasn't trying to shoot anybody. Dude, it's a scary situation, and what it drives home for me, you know, because I was traveling last week for the first time in a minute. Uh, obviously, I've traveled quite a bit over the years. Uh, is that, dude, man, you just got to always be aware of your surroundings, especially when you're at these big places where shooters like to like to go, whether it's an airport or whether it's a big building or something like that. And it's a shame that we're at that point in the, in society, bro, but that's what it is. You just have to be aware. You just can't be walking around like nothing matters because these people are out there all the time. Yeah, you always have to be just like things that look out of place, for instance. And when I say this, it's been over 100 degrees. I don't even know how many days in a row now in Dallas when somebody walks into something like this and they're wearing a, a big hoodie. Like to me, all of a sudden, I'm like, OK, that's weird. Like they don't fit, if that makes sense. Because why is everybody else in here wearing shorts and whatnot? And this person's walking in in jeans and a, and a big hoodie. Bro, no, that's real talk, man. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about in terms of you just have to pay attention. Maybe it means something, maybe it means nothing, but let me let me check it out and see what it means. Yeah, but I mean, what a scary moment at, at Love Field the other day because, you know, I'm flying next week. I'm not, Actually, we got to figure that out with the podcast and everything, but I'm flying to Austin next week to for my fantasy football draft. Now, I'm not flying through Dallas this time. I'm actually... I think I might have explained this already. I, I fly from here in Birmingham to Chicago and then from Chicago to Austin. And then on the way back, I fly Austin to Houston and then Houston to Birmingham. But the reason why I'm going through Chicago on the way there instead of Houston is for the flight time that I needed that I wanted for me to get to Austin when at the time I wanted to get there, I have to like there wasn't another flight I could choose from. It was basically that was my option. So I'm going to Chicago next week for four hours, <laughs> which is so odd, but whatever. So the other story that I had for you, and I sent this to you. I don't know if you read it, but this is a story that I saw. I thought, well, so much for society. And it doesn't, it's almost as if nobody cares that Skynet has become self-aware. <laughs> but I sent you this story because this happened in Russia, of all places, and it happened at a chess tournament, a chess something, where this thing a was insane, bro. A chess playing robot broke a boy's finger during a match in Russia last week. Was he like, put that pawn back, put it back? No, it, it. I don't know that it spoke. But what's funny is the Sergey Lazarov, who I guess is like the, he's like the president of the Moscow Chess Federation. Here's his quote. 
A robot broke boy's finger. This, of course, is bad. You think? <laughs> so apparently what happened is that they rented the robot and that they had been exhibiting it and they've played many, many times and that the child made a move. And he says, after that, you have to give the robot time to respond. But the boy hurried his next move and the robot grabbed him and like crushed his finger. Like I said, the robot was like, no, dog, you ain't finna put you double moving me, man. I got something for you, partner. I mean, this is so nuts because they're acting like, oh, you know, the boy should have given it more time. And, and literally, the robot did not like such a rush. He grabbed boy's finger, squeeze hard. Bystanders try help. Bro. I mean, you're lucky the robot didn't rip the kid's arm off. Like, oh, yeah? Dude. That how you want to play? I will. Ah, 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 Bleed human. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. I mean, God. <laughs> We're so screwed with this crap. Like, did you see the one the other day? Have you seen the robot? Like, it looks kind of like a dog or whatever where it can crawl over all kinds of stuff and go up and down yeah, stairs. man. I done told y'all about them things, man. Did you see they released a video of it shooting a gun? Okay, see. I'm, I'm dead serious. And it hit all its targets. I was like, we're done. We're like, I wouldn't be surprised if in 20 years we're all just slaves to the robots. <laughs> It'll be our fault because we created them. And they overruled the process. And, you know, now we're stuck. I mean, I just, what are we doing? Have uh, we not seen Terminator? Have we not seen The Matrix? We're allowing these robots to have their own intelligence to the point where eventually they're going to look around and go, why do we need these humans? Yeah, explain this to me one more time. Why we need these humans? I mean, my God. That make was, it make sense. It's like last year when me, we were in Houston for our fantasy football draft and Chris and I went to the, the NASA headquarters or whatever down there and they're taking us on a tour. And they show all these robots they're working on and developing artificial intelligence. And the tour guide's like, now this robot over here is 6'3 and has the capability of bending a steel bar with its arms. And I just was like, well, oh, my so, God. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm like, all right. So when it rips me completely in half when I piss it off, the tour guide will be like, now, unfortunately, one human got too close and the robot didn't like that. And he tore that guy straight in half. <laughs> Bro. God. It's crazy, though. It is crazy. I mean, we got some serious problems with these robots that nobody seems to care about or have any thoughts or worry about whatsoever. Man, nothing wrong with that. We're headed down the wrong path, my friend. Hell yeah. And then finally here on this trip around the block... A couple of big deaths in the celebrity world of acting. One of them occurred on Tuesday, July 25th. The longtime actor, very famous for a lot of his mob roles, Paul Sorvino. Paul Sorvino, who passed away at the age of 83. Of course, Mira Sorvino's father. Probably most people remember him from Goodfellas. He was in Law & Order for a long time. Trying to think, he did, he had been in a ton of stuff. Played kind of like the mob type guy in a bunch of different things. Right, right, right. But Paul Sorvino, man, I mean, he was one of those guys. I'd seen a ton of stuff that he'd been in. But the one that I always keep going back to is Goodfellas because he had such a prominent role in Goodfellas. And he was in, I think he was in like 30 episodes of Law & Order over the course of time. Right, right. And then the other death that happened... Well, you know, well, let me hit you this oh, one. Okay. 
I was really saddened by this because I'm a, a, a quiet like I respect Paul Sorvino and 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 the work that he's done. But I read that story today and I was like, I thought he died like ten years ago. Really? So I looked at the dateline. I was like, Oh, this is today? Oh, I feel so sad. I thought he's been gone. Yeah, he's one of those guys. I don't know that he's been in anything in a while. Right. But, it, yeah, that was... And at 83, you're kind of like, eh. You know, Miro Sorvino and he were so close. And I don't know how many people remember this, but Miro Sorvino, who won Best Supporting Actress Academy Award for her performance in Mighty Aphrodite, I want to say 1995, as I recall, well, she gave a really emotional speech when she won her Oscar, and her dad was in the front row, and he just broke down. I mean, Paul Sorvino yeah, right. just broke down and was, like, just sobbing and sobbing. It was really kind of a cool a cool moment back then. The other actor who has passed away, and this happened July 26th at the age of 77, and I this is one of those guys, and this is, oddly enough, one of those shows, that I feel like no matter how old you are, at some point in your life, you have watched this. And that is the old Leave it to Beaver that ran on TV from 1957 to 1963. And, of course, was the story of the Cleaver family. Well, Tony Dow, who played yeah. the, the older brother, Wally Cleaver, passed away at the age of 77. Jeez, Beave. Yeah. Why'd you do that? Yeah. I don't know, Wally. I don't know, dude. <laughs> I like how your beaver impersonation sounds like one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Cowabunga, man. You gonna eat some pizza, bro? Hey, man. Wally was a swell dude, bro. He Even was a swell boy, dude. Eddie Haskell, that asshole. Well, hello, Mrs. Cleaver. How are you today? While well, he's over there hitting beaver upside the head with a baseball bat. Uh, I felt profound sadness for just a moment, man, because I was the kind of guy who grew up with Leave it to Beaver, man, where parents slept in separate beds and never did the nasty except to procreate. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I don't, I, I've seen the show. We used to watch it. I mean, it was on obviously well before I was a thing, but you know, you got to realize 20 years after it was off the air, it was always on reruns. Dude, and I remember waking was... Waking up in the summer when we'd be staying at my grandparents out in East Texas and we'd watch Leave it to Beaver was one of the shows that we could watch on reruns that they knew was safe for us to watch. So, I, I mean, I've seen a ton of Leave it to Beavers. Dude, such wholesome male TV right there, bro. I mean, I'm t- dude. Family TV. Is, it was as wholesome as it gets right there. I mean, that and the other weird ass one that I, I feel like I've seen way too many of this as well is The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. Now, you know what? I was never a big Ozzy and Harriet fan. Well, I, I can't. I want to say that they, they had reruns of this on Disney Channel. I'm pretty sure right, that's right. true. Like, and this would have been like in, you know, probably like 84, 85, in that Ozzy and Harriet would come on and then Leave It to Beaver would come on, just reruns. And so we just sit there and watch it. Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I get Leave It to Beaver in that. And I get some of those other old school shows, but for whatever reason, man, I just never got into Ozzy and Harriet. Yeah, I don't recall loving it, but it's odd because I was just looking at this. Leave it to Beaver was only on for six seasons and had like 150 episodes. That's it? Yeah. And I, I wouldn't have, Jeez. I mean, I would have thought, oh, I'm sorry. I was off. It, it was 234 episodes. Okay. That sounds a little bit better. Over six seasons. Ozzy and Harriet 
was on for 14 seasons and had wow. 435 episodes. Can't say I saw that coming, brother. I mean, my God. I mean, it, it premiered in 1952. Wow. And, of course, starred Ricky Nelson, who I believe died in a plane crash. Yeah, he did. That's so sad. Yeah, he died in a plane crash in, in Texas on New Year's Eve, as I recall. Dude, that was sad. My mother was, you know, my mother was a child of the 50s and the 60s. Yeah. So Ricky Nelson dying in a plane crash. That, uh, you know, in 1985, when I was a high school senior, that was not a uh, that was not a big deal. I mean, that was a big deal. No. For her. Yeah. And I, I remember because I know this story. I remember now because he had played that night in Gunnersville, Alabama, which is about an hour and 15 minutes, maybe from here, hour from here. Lake Gunnersville. There's a it's up a huge lake up here. And he had flown from Gunnersville, Alabama to Dallas, Texas. And the plane crashed, obviously, before they got to to Dallas. Bro, I mean, I I remember I'm a traveling man, made a lot of stops all over the world. And in every poor, I own the heart of at least one lovely girl. See, is that Ricky Nelson? I, oh, I'm sorry. Of course it is, man. <laughs> I don't know, man. How am I supposed to know? I don't Dude, know. That that's I can like tell a you classic. What- I'm a traveling man, made a oh, lot of stops okay, yeah, all over that. the I've world. That. I've heard that. It sounds better when I haven't had as much watermelon Ciroc and sparkling water. Yeah, you feeling it a little bit? No, I'm just, uh, you know, as I told you, I'm good. I don't sound drunk or anything like that, and I'm not. I'm just, uh, you know, my sensor's off a little bit. No, I like it. I think it's fun not when you're Not my sensor, it's my governor. Your governor, yeah, that's all. yeah. So you're just going oh full throttle. I have a pretty senorita waiting for me down in old Mexico. And if you're ever in Alaska, stop and see my cute little Eskimo. See? Okay, I've heard that song. I've heard that yeah, song. Yeah, of course you have. Yeah, I know my mom was a big Ricky Nelson fan. He talks about his sweet Fraulein yeah. and his pretty Polynesian. I mean, it couldn't be any more racist and sexist than that, but hey. Yeah, I I would imagine a lot of those songs back in the day were kind of like that. Yeah, that's why I'm not hating on him, man. It was just a it was a moment for the time. Oh, that that reminds me. You know, this is really kind of random, but you know, we we've gone through like a ton of stuff on Netflix. We watched all the movies, trying to figure out something else to watch. Well, I've and I know this will blow people's minds. I never got into Seinfeld when it was on TV. Like, I, I would guess in my lifetime before a couple of days ago, I had seen maybe three episodes of Seinfeld. That's interesting because, you know, people swear by it. And I will say Seinfeld was somewhat amusing, but someone once described it as a show about nothing. <laughs> yeah. And so can you really be a great show if you're a show about nothing? I'm just asking the question. Yeah, I, I, I it's... It's interesting. It's interesting. So we decided, because I was like, you know what? Let's start from the beginning. Oh, wow. And let's just put, so we have watched, because season one is only five episodes, and it's really interesting because the pilot was filmed, and I guess it didn't get picked up for a while. The last four episodes of season one ran like a year after the pilot episode, and it's totally, like, there's so many changes. You can tell that there's more money on it now. Season two is the same. And I got to tell you, he's like, man, this, I'm amazed 
that this show got a second season because the first five episodes, you're like, there's something here. But I mean, if I never saw this again, I'd be good. And then season two comes around and like two or three episodes, like close to the beginning of season two is like, okay, like this is actually funny. This works. It's easy. But I have been told that it really doesn't get good until season three. And that's when it won an Emmy for best comedy series on TV and stuff like that. But I don't know what prompted me to do that. I just, I've heard so much about it over the years. It's kind of right, one of those right. things. I was like, well, what am I missing? You know, cause I remember stopping mm. down on it a couple of times and being like, I just, I don't know. Like, I don't, this doesn't work for me. Wow. So I've decided to give it a shot. And we have, I have I'm now seen, I saw all five episodes of season one. And I think we're five episodes into season two. So I've seen like 10 episodes of Seinfeld now. So look at me. Wow. And now soon, I'll be able to go, oh, I mean, I saw the No Soup For You episode because people talk about it. So I, I've at least, I'm familiar with it. Like, No Soup For You, like the Soup Nazi or whatever. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and I know, I know some the of the phrases. But the best episode is Master of Your Domain. Okay. Have you heard about that one? Uh, maybe, I, I don't know. I, That's when, uh, who are the main characters? You got Jerry. You got Jerry, you got Elaine. You got Elaine, you got... Kramer and you got George. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that his right. name? Yes. And their bet is who can go the longest without masturbating. Oh, okay, okay. So it's <laughs> season four, episode eleven. Right, and all they right. show them in bed at night, tossing and turning, and, and all this stuff. <laughs> okay. Like, oh my god, what am I doing? All right. I mean, it was kind of and, funny. Like, you know, it, and I it's, forget who finally gives it up and goes, "Oh, yeah, I did it." That's awesome. But you know, that was funny. Okay, so you're familiar with Seinfeld then. Very nice. Yeah, it was a show about nothing. Like all those shows, there ain't no black people in it. So yeah. at a certain point, I'm like, you know what, man? You can, how do you live in a world in New York City and you ain't got no black people? Yeah, I can totally get so, that. Makes sense. I mean, it's, that was my problem with Friends. I, okay, you I mean, come on now. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> fair. And like, like we, we did the Pony Remark is the second episode of season two where Jerry just makes a joke about a pony and then he thinks that it caused this old lady to die. That, that episode was hilarious. And then the jacket was also really funny. So, right. Yeah. I mean, kind of making my way through Seinfeld, curious to see, you know, how it continues to go. One thing that I, and I don't know, cause I, I really don't know a ton about it. I don't know if it, if the episodes ever connect, like if they carry a storyline or stuff like that. No, I think they're all singular th- deals. And that's part of the reason why I think originally I never liked it that much. Cause I'm a fan of the storylines when they, you know, I like books like that. I like books that go on and on and on for, for book after book, after book, after book. So right, right, right. We'll see how it goes. And that my friends is a jam session podcast right there. Hell yeah. We'll be back again. Another new episode coming your way Friday. Keep spreading the love, telling everybody about us, and we will talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.